It's good to be preaching again. I've taken a few weeks off to uh, do vacation and to do uh, some long-term planning. So very thankful for the elders who filled in. Thank you, brothers, uh, for how you've preached the word faithfully. Uh, I'm also thankful to be preaching again. Um, you know, in God's providence, he, uh, we planned the summer in the Psalms in February. Just thought, you know, as the semester breaks, we had no idea what was coming, but as the semester breaks, we'll take a break from Mark, and then we'll go into the Psalms, summer in the Psalms. You know, other churches have done that, so we're not alone. And I, I just think in God's providence, we, you know, we didn't know COVID was going to happen. We didn't know race relations would be at an all-time tension. We didn't know this morning that our dear brother would lose his mom. And we happened to be in Psalm, we just happened to be in Psalm 23. Now that's a kindness of God, that he doesn't work just in the moment, uh, but he also works in planning. So we're just, we're thankful for all of that, and we want to give praise to our great God. So that's where we are. We're in the book of Psalms. It's kind of in the middle of the Bible. If you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, Psalms is a, a hymn book. It's a book of songs for the Christian people. It's a, it's a worship book for God's people. It's, a, it's, it's an inspired book of songs expressing um, our emotions back to God. And God means all of these psalms to be sung back to him. Even the darkest psalms, like Psalm 88. The lightest psalms, as we go to the end, we, think, we see uh, the psalmist calling everything that has breath to praise God. All of these songs are meant to be sung right back to him. And, and so the structure, but we do see that there's actually a structure in the Psalms. Uh, if you've noticed, the, the translators of the Bible have, at least in the ESV, have pointed that out. There's book one through five, right? So in the Psalms, you have these books, uh, book one through five. And, and for instance, book, book one it has a short introduction of Psalm 1 and 2, which we did at the beginning of this series, and it ends in Psalm 41, uh, and that's the first book of the Psalms. And so Psalm 23 is right in that first book of the, of the Psalms. And, and as, we see the as we see the books of Psalms put together, they're not arranged historically. They're not arranged by author, much to the chagrin of all the librarians in the room, including myself. I, you know, I, I would have loved to put it in the Library of Congress, right? That all those numbers on there. If you've ever seen li my library, I have the Library of Congress, nerd alert, right? Sorry. Library of Congress numbers on all my books. But that's not how the Psalms are arranged. They're, they're arranged thematically. And one person uh, the Simeon in the Simeon Trust workshop has said it like this. Book, book one is all about God's king in the world. God puts his king into the world. And the world rejects God's king. God has put his king into the world, and, you know, providentially, David, Israel, one of Israel's greatest kings, has written most of these psalms, and God's put him in the world. And the world rejects his king, but it's not really talking about David. It's talking about somebody else. And in Psalm 23, if you're not there, I invite you to turn there, open your Bible, or... Scroll on your phone and your iPad. It's only taken 2,000 years to get back to the scroll. A couple laughs, that's good. So get there, Psalm 23. And, and you'll notice, if you can go back and forth, the, the surrounding context in Psalm 23, 
uh, Psalm 22, which Josh preached for us a few weeks ago, we, we notice that the king is forsaken by the world. He's not just forsaken by the world. He's forsaken by God himself. So he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the psalm doesn't end in dereliction, but it ends, do you notice, Psalm 22, 28, as the king recovering, resurrecting, and coming into God, celebrating God's kingship himself. For kingship belongs to who? To Yahweh. And he rules over the nations. This is the king. He's forsaken, but he's resurrected, and he's king forevermore over everyone. And on the other side of Psalm 23 is this this king of glory, which Davy preached for us last week. This, This king of glory, there's this city with the temple in the middle, and the people are gathered in the temple, and they're called to receive the king back from his his battles. And this victorious king comes and he says, Open up the gates, lift up your heads, O gates, and welcome the king back because he's won. He is victorious. So on the, these, between these two mountainous texts of Psalm 22 where the king dies, is resurrected, and is king forevermore, and on this other side where the king has won the victory and he's invited back into the city is Psalm 23 in the middle. And there, there it is. And in the valley between these two mountainous texts is where God's people live. They live in the valley. They don't live on the mountaintops all the time. They're in the valley. And the question is, where's the king? Where's the king in all of this? That's what God's people would have been asking. The Israelites would have been asking, because most likely these were all compiled after the exile. And they would have been wondering, is God going to keep his promise? Will he keep his promise to have someone on the throne of David Always. And they would have been wondering. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, they would have thought, where is God? I'm in the valley. Is he here too? And in Psalm 23, David wants to assure his people. He wants to assure you, if you trust in him, that the king is there in the valley with you. He's your shepherd. (laughs) What a kindness to God. The psalm is meant to give you confidence and comfort. It's meant to give God's people confidence and comfort. God wants his people to have confidence in his goodness at all times. God wants his people to have confidence in his goodness at all times. Not not just believe it in the abstract. You know, like a systematic theology class where you're memorizing all these attributes of God and, oh yeah, that's one of them too. God is good. No, he wants you to know that he's good for you all the time. Regardless of your current circumstance, he's good for you. He loves you. So the structure of the Psalms begins, of of this Psalm begins in Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord. The covenant name of God. Yahweh. 
And God's people would have taken a lot of comfort in this. They knew the history of this whole thing. You can look at Exodus 34, 6 and 7, and you can see where God used this phrase. He says to Moses as he's making the two new tablets, he passes by and he says, the Lord, the Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is the Lord who is my shepherd. He also ends the psalm with it. Do you see that in the last verse? When he comes to an end, he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's Yahweh's house. I will be in his presence forever. This is the, he intends to bring confidence by evoking the covenant name of God as their shepherd. It's surprising. It's meant to surprise you and assure you this is the God who has no ending. This is the God who is infinite, creator. This is the God who fully exists in himself. Time has no bearing on him. He neither sleeps nor eats. If he was hungry, he wouldn't tell you because he has a cattle on a thousand hills. This is our God. This is this is the king, the most powerful one in all the universe, is my shepherd. And because he is, there are consequences for us. It's a very long introduction and before I get to the outline. Sorry about that. But there are consequences for us, okay? And you'll notice them in verse 1. He's my shepherd. I will not want. I'll lack no good thing. Consequence number one. I will not fear, because you're with me, and I will come safely home, in verse 6. So that's what we're just going to look at. The shepherd's care, the shepherd's comfort, the shepherd's chase. Verses 1 through 3, the shepherd's care. I will lack no good thing. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, He makes me to lie down In green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. What the shepherd does, you know, the Lord, what a shepherd does with his sheep is what the Lord does with his people. He's out front leading. This is what good shepherds do. He leads them, and where he's leading them is to, to place where, places where they can be at ease and feed. They can eat. They can drink without fear of being consumed by a wolf or a bear or something else that will eat them. And this is what the shepherds do. They're out front, and oftentimes God's people had bad shepherds. This is the word he used to describe uh, the leaders of Israel the time, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And most of the time, he would call them, you've been bad shepherds. And the reason you've, done, you've been bad shepherds, the reason I call you that is, is because you're like Hophni and Phinehas. You dip the fork in there before the fat's boiled off, and you take the choicest of meats. 
you're not caring for God's people. You're making yourself fat, Eli, and God's people are starving. And while those people were bad, and, and there's plenty of bad shepherds that leads God, have led God's people through the years, not so of the good shepherd. He always leads you to, to paths of righteousness. He always leads you to quiet places where you can eat. He's a good shepherd. The chief shepherd leads us to place of peace and provision. That's, that's what he's tasked himself to do. And that's what he's tasked the leaders of his church to do. And if the leaders of this church or any other church you attend in the future don't lead you to paths where you can feast on God's word in peace, we're not, they're not fighting off the wolves. Run from that place because the good shepherd is not in it. The good shepherd wants you to have everything you need. That's what the good shepherd does. He provides, he leads, he restores, he guides to the right paths. But what, what's the provision? What is the provision that he gives? You notice the psalmist could say something outrageous. I shall not want. I have everything I need. Now, maybe you're not a Christian, or, or you have a warped view of Christianity, maybe a, a Pollyannish view of Christianity that, that pretends that there's nothing wrong when there actually are wrong things. And you're saying, well, this is just proof. He says he shall not want, but he wants lots of things. Or, or, or maybe your view of Christianity is what you have seen from some preachers on TV who have said, if you send us a check for $200, God's going to give you everything you want. Or if you just have enough faith, you'll have what you want. That's not what this text is saying. This text is saying that I only want what the shepherd gives. I have everything I want because I have the shepherd. I have Jesus. Audrey, a, a songwriter, singer, Audrey Assad wrote a song called I Shall Not Want. I think, she ex I think she gets at this text really well. And she starts by asking God to save her from things that she thinks will make her happy. She says, from the love of my own comfort. From the fear of having nothing. From earthly passions. Deliver me, O oh God from the fear of being lonely, from the fear of being misunderstood, from being accepted. Deliver me from these things, O oh God, and I shall not want. She, she claims the covenant that's promised. This, she puts it onto herself, I will not want. Why? Because she has tasted his goodness, and he's restored her. The, the shepherd has restored David he has everything he wants. He has everything he needs because he has Yahweh as his shepherd. This is a restoration to what we were created to be. Your heart is restless until you find rest in him. You were created for him, Augustine said, and your hearts are restless until we find rest in him. And the psalmist has said, because he's my shepherd, I'm not restless anymore. I will not want.
He has led them in paths for green pastures, still waters. He's restored their soul. He has made it. So they don't want anything but him. And in verse 3, he says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is, this is where it's all leading here. This is, a, this is supposed to remind us of the prohibition in Psalm 1 to not walk in the way of sinners. Right? This is... If you read Psalm 1, you say, don't walk in the way of sinners, you might ask, well, which way am I supposed to walk in? And the good shepherd says, I'm leading you in that path. I, I'm leading you. I, I, I'm doing what I command for you. I'm bringing you along. I'm, I'm, I'm making you walk in paths of righteousness for my own namesake. God leads in paths of righteousness. And you might say, uh, I, I don't know about that because times have been dark for me. Well, that's anticipating the very next verse because the verse transitions from lush pasture and calmness to deep, deep darkness. The scene shifts and, and the... the the psalmist is no longer in a good place. But he still has confidence. He has confidence because the, com the shepherd has cared for him, but now he has confidence because the shepherd is comforting him. He will not fear. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, literally the deepest darkness, even up to death's door, I will fear no evil. Why, why, David? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though it appears that he is not alone, he has confidence. He, he says, even though, it, it seems as he's alone, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The even though gives hope. It, it is, the, it is the, the, the sort of the but God of the Old Testament. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I... Am not alone. He's no longer in a good place. You may be tempted to believe, he may be tempted to believe that he doesn't have all he wants now. Maybe that's where you are. Tempted to believe God's withheld something from you that you need, that you want. Maybe you have a wayward child, an ending marriage a stolen childhood. Maybe you didn't get the graduation you thought you deserved this year. Or maybe you're still single or childless, jobless, and you're wondering, is the shepherd really leading me in paths of righteousness for his namesake? There's a tone of confidence in this verse, though. Do you notice his circumstances have changed for the worse, and his, but his confidence remains? And we must ask, why does it remain? And it remains for two reasons, because of the, the covenant promises of God. It's the covenant presence and covenant discipline that gives him confidence that he's not alone, that he'll make it through, that he still has everything he wants. It comes from specific promises. Notice the covenant presence of God in verse 4. 
I will fear no evil because for you are with me. The pronoun, his circumstances have changed for the worse. And so does the pronoun. It's no longer I, but it's, it's you are with me. And now they're together. You will not fear death. You know, um, David actually had feared death. He, he had been in these circumstances before. Saul, the previous king, the first king of Israel before David, actually wanted to kill him. He, he wanted to put him to death. You remember those stories in, in 1 and 2 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, Saul is put on the throne, and as soon as he hears that the next king is already chosen, he wants to kill him. That is worse than that. It wasn't just Saul that wanted his throne and wanted him dead. It was his own son, Absalom, Salom. Peace is in his name. His own son wanted to kill him. The king knew what it was like to be under the threat of death. But he still holds on to the covenant promises. Exodus 3. You remember in verse 12. This is at the burning bush when God is calling Moses to go to Israel and uh, the people of Israel and bring them out of Egypt. Let my people go. Here's God calling him and he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on the mountain. There's the covenant promise to Moses that his confidence needs to be in God's presence, in the covenant presence of God. Moses isn't the only one he promised this to. The successor to Moses, Joshua, he says the same thing in Joshua 1, verse 5. He says, as, Joshua, as, the, as the mantle is being passed from Moses to Joshua, God says to him in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. The same way I was with Moses, I, so I, will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now, David has grasped on to the covenant promises made to Moses and Joshua, and he's applied them to himself. He has said, God will never leave them. That must be, he's the same God I'm trusting him, the same salvation I'm trusting for. That must be true for me. I will never leave you or forsake you. And he's saying right there, in the deepest darkness, in that valley, even in the shadow of death, when I can't feel the bottom beneath me in the river of death and I'm crossing over, you are with me. You're with me. And he takes on to the covenant promise and he applies it to himself. Friend, I'm telling you, you can have that same confidence. God means that for you as well. Dear brother or sister, apply those covenant promises to yourself. Take them on yourself. Memorize passages like this that remind you of them. Get in community of brothers and sisters that are out front leading that way and reminding you that though you're in the deepest valley, God has not forsaken you. 
He promised Moses, he promised Joshua, he promised David, and the covenant promises for you too. Grab hold of it with confidence. I'm slowly trying to memorize Romans 8 again. Um, and, and, and it's these kinds of things as I slow down and I meditate on the words of God. I, I remember that I'm a great sinner, but he's a greater savior. And he will never leave me. But it's not just the covenant presence of God, as if he's just there, and, and by his presence, everything will be okay. No, God actually acts while he's there. In covenant discipline. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So, you know, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not the son of a shepherd. I've never known a shepherd in my life, but I've read about him. And what I've read is the shepherd will, will carry around this, this thick little stick, thick club for fighting off uh, those that would devour the sheep. And so the covenant discipline of God, the rod, was a weapon to protect God's people. This, is, this, is, this should remind us of the kingly office of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is subduing us. And, and, and he's subduing all of our enemies as well. He fights for you. He fights for you when you, are, when you go to sleep and you lay your head down, when you're awake and you're anxious, when you're in a good place and nothing seems like it will ever go wrong. God is fighting for you. And he doesn't just fight for you. He, he guards you too. The staff, you know, it's, it has the shepherd's hook and as the sheep go astray, and they would destroy themselves, as all of us would. He takes the little hook, and he grabs them on, and he, and he brings them back into the fold. He loves you. He's strong. He'll fight for you. And he's tender. He'll put you on his shoulders and bring you back to the fold. This is the covenant presence of our kind God, reminding you to have confidence in him, and the covenant discipline. Friend, do not despise the discipline of the Lord. He only disciplines those he loves. He, he doesn't go in the neighborhood disciplining other people's kids. He only disciplines his own kids. And he does it because he loves them. He's bringing them back into the fold. Don't say I'm not good enough for God. Or that he's, he's doing something to me because I've done something. He's, he's going to kick me out of the fold. Don't ever say that. It's not true. The greatest burden you can lay on God's heart is to say you don't, he doesn't love you. He loves you. And he shows it in his presence and discipline. This is meant to give us confidence. The shepherd's care, he provides for you all your days so you have everything you need, everything you want because you have him. Shepherd's comfort is he's there with you, he's disciplining you, he's loving you all the way home. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he's going to see you through to the other side, which leads us to the lastly to the shepherd's chase. I will come safely home. Verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall, I will, it is certain, 
that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All the days, all the succession of days, the rest of my life and beyond. The shepherd, there's a slight texture to the metaphor as shepherd and sheep. He's now added the texture of host. And God has brought the shepherd and the sheep through the valley. Do you notice that he didn't, do you notice that he did not withhold the valley? He didn't, he didn't like bring them around the valley. He didn't wipe the valley out, but he brought them through. They had to go through the valley of deep darkness. He brought them through. We're not promised to escape suffering, but we're promised that he will be with us through the suffering. And here they are on the other side. And what waits for them on the other side? It's a meal, a table. And it's right in the presence of his enemies. It's a victory meal. As they come through the valley of the shadow of death, they are eating bread. They're drinking wine and they're toasting the king of victory. And here they are. They're, they're celebrating. It's, it's a celebration after they've gone through, through death. They're celebrating over their enemy. And it reminds me of Colossians 2.15. Where Paul tells us that God has made us alive. He canceled the record of debt against us. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Jesus is, <laughs> he's celebrating right in front of his enemies the triumphs of his grace all around him. He's eating a meal with them. And he's anointing this victory meal. The result is that it, it, it is as if my head is anointed with oil. It's true. In those ancient times, the, the, the host would, would take oil and anoint their guests as they came in, reminding them that they're respected and loved and welcome in. And, 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 and the cup was always full to overflowing, just to remind them that as long as you're in my house, I'm always going to provide for, my, for your needs, and your cup's just going to be overflowing all the time. And so the wine's flowing heavy. The, the food is coming in all the time, and, and, and here they are at at this feast and their needs are taken care of. It's more than that. <laughs> they have more than they need. They have so much wine that it overflows their cup. They're so taken care of. Who has ever anointed your head with oil? Jesus, the psalmist is saying that the Lord has done this. He anointed my head with oil. Friends, the reason this could happen is because the shepherd became a lamb. And he gave up his life as a ransom for many. He didn't, one day we'll all go through the valley of the shadow of death, but he said, no, you won't do this. I will do it for you. I will take your place. I'm the good shepherd, but I'll give my life for the sheep. And he goes to that bloody cross and he dies in your place and my place. He stood condemned for your sin and my sin. 
the wrath of God was upon him. And he was buried for three days. And after three days, he didn't stay dead. He rose again, and he's alive forevermore. In fact, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and this good shepherd has sent his spirit to dwell with us now. This is how it could happen. And because Jesus has done that, because God sent his son to do that, and he had finished it, he accomplished it, because he has done that, here's what the, she- here's what the shepherd of Israel says about his own shepherd. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. These are, these are meant to be metaphors for us. They're like sheepdogs. Surely, goodness and mercy are, are sheepdogs. You know, God's character is personified as having legs and chasing us down all of our days. He's, he's after you, no matter how far you've gone. He's, he's sending them out after you. He's the hound of heaven, and he will, he will never stop until you're back in the fold. Surely, goodness and mercy are chasing you down all the days of your life. That's the... Holman Standard, the Christian Standard Bible now uh, translates this, uh, this word, follow, as pursue or chase. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all my days. Goodness and mercy or, or covenant love are personified as coming after you. And is that your testimony? God has been chasing you down with his love all your days, and it just overwhelms you if you think about it. How could he love me? Why would he come after me? And you, I, remember, I, re, I remember this episode in David's life where, where, where he was an adulterer and he stole someone's wife. And then to cover up that she was pregnant, he killed her husband Uriah, this faithful man. And, and this man, David, would go on to worship in the temple for months and months like nothing was wrong. And the good covenant love of the Lord was chasing him down. And he came in Nathan and his bony finger was right in David's face saying, you are the man. And what did David do? Did he have Nathan killed? No, he repented and turned to God for salvation. That's what God wants you to do. If you have never turned to him for salvation, let me just talk to you. If you're not a Christian or if you've been acting like a Christian for a very long time, God is saying, like David, turn to Jesus Christ and he will save you. He has more than enough love to cover all of your sins, more than enough mercy, more than enough grace. He wants you to come in. And when you've come in, you'll look back and you'll say, You've done this all my days. You've been chasing me down. And the result of this pursuit is that the king will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. There'll be no, no time when he won't be with God. He's no longer a sheep. He's no longer a guest, but he's a son. He's been invited into the house Isaac Watts wrote this poem based on Psalm 23, and it ends like this. The sure provision of my God, attend me all my days. Oh, may thy house be my abode, 
and all my work be praise. There could I find a settled rest while others go and come, no more a stranger nor a guest, but like a child at home. It's exactly what he's inviting you into, friends. Maybe you've never known a good father or mother. Maybe you've never had a good home life. God is inviting you into the best home life ever. And he wants, he's going to make it happen. The same covenant Lord who promised it will bring it to pass. I don't know about you, but I've moved around a fair bit, especially in the last five years of my life. And sometimes you wonder where home really is. can't find quite find comfort anywhere you don't really feel like this is it this is home but God is calling you home and when you're with him forever you will know the comfort and the rest that you can just be at home you could just be there The covenant promise is going to be fulfilled by the one who made the promise. He said he would do it, and he will do it. You know, I'm fascinated, though, that the scriptures take this shepherd metaphor all the way through. And at the end, in Revelation 7, when the saints who are washed in their blood are crying out to God, he says to them in in Revelation 7, 15 through 17, He says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb is in the midst of the throne. This lamb will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the shepherd that is inviting you. Won't you have confidence in his goodness all your days? Let's pray.